Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co, where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Building Teams with Teams & Co. Mike and I are thrilled to welcome David Harkins, a strategic change consultant and educator, to the podcast today. David, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. David, it's great to see you this morning. Nice to see you, Mike. David, why don't we get started? I mean, our audience, um, obviously, you and I know each other from uh, volunteering in different uh, ecosystems and mentoring opportunities, but would love to introduce you to our um, our listeners today and give them a little bit more background about what does a strategic change consultant do and um, a little bit more about how you help businesses each day and, and nonprofits? I know that's one of your key focuses. Sure. Um, so what I really do is help organizations navigate complexities within within their own organization. So it's people, process, technology, and what all that means to be able to shift from where they are to where they need to be. So a lot of my work with, is with nonprofit organizations, but I also work with corporations who are really focused on social impact, having social impact and social engagement. And um, I also work with social entrepreneurs as they try to figure out, okay, what do, we, what do we do? How do we make a difference in the world? So at this stage of my life, I wanted to stop helping other people make money and help other people and organizations have greater impact. So that's where my focus tends to be with my business. And I teach, as you know, I teach entrepreneurship and marketing and bunch of other things for several uh, universities as an adjunct. David, that's that's fantastic. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your process. When you go in to work with either an entrepreneur or maybe a more established organization, whether that's a for-profit or a non-profit organization, how do you go in and start to understand how effectively is that organization running today before you can obviously prescribe um, you know, recommendations for how they could improve? Sure. Um, it typically starts with uh, what I call a current situation assessment, or it, which is a series of interviews of different stakeholders around the organization. I like to talk to people who are really supportive of things and also people who are big naysayers of things, because that gives me a balanced picture or a relatively balanced picture of, of what's going on. And that's typically the first step in the process. And then I look at what are their existing strategies and what are they trying to achieve and where do they want to go with, with, um, with their organization and see how where they are aligns with where they want to go. And quite often it doesn't. So then the next step is, well, how do we find ways to align that? And, and often it's rooted in cultural change within the organization. So how do we... How do we shift the culture to achieve these things and change the mindsets of individuals and encourage ownership of, of, uh, of some of these new approaches that, that the organization wants to take? Culture change is always such an easy thing for organizations to, to implement, right? Changing the, the mindset of an organization is one of the simplest things. I, I'm joking, of course. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'd love to know, know more. How do you coach organizations and leaders um, to go about something that's that is as big and as challenging as as shifting a, a culture. Well, they have to to begin with. They have to understand that a culture is something that they have, and that it is something that can be shifted. So many organizations and and leaders really think, 
oh, well, the culture just develops, but, but that's not mm -hmm. exactly true. The culture is shaped by leadership and it's shaped by individuals. Um, there are various theories on culture and culture development, but they all pretty much kind of fall into line with its implied beliefs and behaviors of individuals and, and their actions based on history and the organization and leadership legacies and things like that, which shape how people make decisions. And that's how the culture develops. So understanding those things makes it a little bit easier to, to come in and say, well, all right, what are the elements that we need to change to shift the culture in a different direction? Everyone wants, pretty much everybody wants a collaborative culture, right? Individuals want to have fun working together and, and enjoy what they're, what are going on, but there's all these conflicting tensions within an organization. So you know, if everybody's having a good time and everything's like family, then somebody has to be mom and dad, right? So uh, that gets into this environment of, of leaders telling people what to do rather than the individuals in the organization coming up with new ideas and new directions and new thoughts to be able to drive it. So, and then you have this, you have the idea of, well, it's great to have a family, but how do we put food on the table? So how do you drive that market centric approach to generate revenue in the organization? And where, where does that create tension between how focused we have to be on driving revenue versus how close we want to be as a family? So I'm not sure I gave you a great answer for that, Ben, but it's just messy, right? So every culture is different right. and everyone uh, requires a kind of a different um, approach to achieving whatever the goal is that the organization wants to achieve. Yeah, I think, David, we, we find that so often as well. And, um, you know, it's easy. And I think a lot of times we'll all read articles or you know, listen to podcasts like this or, you know, watch YouTube videos of people giving, you know, TED Talks or whatever the kind of medium is, right? But, and a lot of times in those, there's this, you know, the buzzwords of culture change and, you know, create this collaborative environment and everybody tries to make it sound really easy. But, you know, before we kicked off recording and you've alluded to it again, which is, it's not easy, right? It's messy. And for leaders, there's a heavy lift to set the tone. And, and one of the things I think um, I'm hearing coming out in, in your kind of uh, description and one of the things we focus on is, you know, as you're going through that, one of the ways to align your organization and kind of create that dialogue, create some of those feedback loops is to identify who your customer is and, and agree who your customer is. And I think that's a big debate for a lot of organizations, especially ones that are changing and shifting uh, as we've all done in the last 18 months. It's it's who are we serving and, and what are we providing and kind of using that as a jumping off point to say, okay, if this is who we're serving and this is what we're providing, how do we do that? How do we keep innovating together? How do we build processes around that? So maybe you could talk a little bit. I know that you've mentioned your, you know, obviously your background in marketing and your expertise and, you know, that and change. How do you kind of try to combine those ideas for organizations to say, okay, here's where we go from here, right? The current state analysis gives you lots of information, but what's that kind of next step of this, of this, you know, potentially difficult journey uh, in, in kicking off change? Um, it depends, right? <laughs> so every, every our, our favorite answer always. The <laughs> classic consultant answer. <laughs> um, context is such an important part of that. So, right. So when you think about leadership in general, um, we, and this kind of connects to customers and, and everything. We, we have this uh, approach 
to how we operate within our organization. And quite often we think about the organization as a closed system, but organizations are not closed systems. So organizations are open systems. So, so what happens on the outside affects what happens on the inside. So what we end up doing as leaders is we spend a lot of time focusing on the things that we can measure, which is in an open systems model would be considered the throughput. So, you know, how many sales we get, how many, oh, I don't know, how many leads we have, uh, how many customers we've served. We, we focus on all those things, who, who performed this way, who performed that way. But what we're not looking at as closely is how the market changes. So how generational leadership changes or how customer preferences change and how does that affect our business and our business operation, uh, even attitudes of customers. So uh, all of those things then affect the throughputs, which affect the output or the performance of the organization. So if we're not looking at, well, how is my customer changing? How is my market changing? And, and realigning our organization constantly to that, then you know, we, we run the risk of not being able to perform the way we need to and keep our businesses afloat. And this is yeah. particularly challenging, I think, in this environment where uh, everyone has, has decided, well, you know, we've, we've sequestered ourselves for the last 18 or 20 months. And uh, now do we buy things the same way we bought things? I mean, we're coming out of this shadow, but are we doing things the same way we used to do things? And um, anyway, even, even the organizations that are saying, you've got to come back to work, you've got to come back into the workplace. Well, is that the right answer? Is that the right answer for everybody? And how is that going to affect consumers? Consumer spending or, or business spending, whenever we make those shifts, they're going to continue to buy online or they're going to change their spending habits. I mean, all of those things become inputs in how we think about uh, operation, business operations and performance. And I think in that, David, one of the things that strikes me about what you're saying and that we've heard a lot is this search for like one answer, right? Or or change is one event, right? And obviously, as we've seen this year, change is never one event. We always speak about it as incremental processes that leadership has to build, right? You have to keep adjusting, keep that feedback loop open. And and to your point, a lot of these decisions that we're making now or customer behavior changes, it's not a, a left or a right or a you know, curbside delivery or inside shopping, or I'm going back to the office full-time or I'm staying home full-time. There's a lot of gray areas in these decisions that are facing all of us as, you know, team members, as customers. How are you helping organizations navigate that that kind of gray area right now, right? It's one thing that we face a lot with our clients and that we're talking about all the time. And, and I'm imagining you are as well. In terms of um, product design or service design as a uh, as yeah, a connection. Think, yeah, I think as we're as we're, as you're speaking about kind of taking those next steps and kind of saying, okay, how are we going to serve our customers? Um, without that clear roadmap, right? We're all often making these decisions with without this clear destination point, right? We don't have all the information we want, and and right now a lot of these decisions, like I said, are kind of in this gray area. How do you help organization whether it's whether it's product design or kind of understanding what's the value you're creating for a customer? How do you do that with with things changing so rapidly, or maybe not knowing that clear clear answer as we as we don't right now. Sure, um, there are a couple of thoughts that I have there. So one of them is, for lack of a better word, we'll call it rapid prototyping. 
right? Or better phrase, it's rapid prototyping. So as your customer needs, values, and expectations begin to change, if you're watching for those things, then you have to have a system inside the organization that says, okay, we're beginning to see this. So how do we need to shift our organization internally and how do we get the voice of the customer integrated in? I, I really don't like that voice of the customer term, but you know, sometimes it's out. <laughs> how do we get that voice of the customer into the organization in a way that's consistent? And there's lots of methods you can use to do that. And, you know, one of, one of my favorites is the whole design thinking method. So how do we get out there and we, we listen to the customer in a way that brings their input into the organization in, in a consistent fashion and a regular, you know, a regular fashion so that we're constantly listening. Um, so that's one way. The other way I think is for leaders, and this is, this is mind blowing to me a few weeks ago and talking to someone about uh, this whole concept of, of leadership. And, and, and we know this, right? As leaders and, and, and professionals, we know that things are always changing, but the situations, the context in which we make decisions are always changing too. So what we as leaders sometimes do is we go into a situation and says, say to ourselves, well, this looks like that. And based on my past experiences, this is how I'm going to approach it. But the context is completely different. And, and it's always different. And we, if we, what we end up doing is looking at it through this whole lens of the past, this hindsight model, and we make these assumptions of some level of continuity in that process, but nothing is ever the same. The context of all of our decisions are different, and we can't look at them through this hindsight lens all the time. We've got to be able to look at them differently, which is where this idea of customer input you know, in an open systems, that customer input into our models makes a big difference. Yeah, Dave, I'd love to to dig into that customer input component. And I've seen this, and I know Tracy has from a couple different dimensions in our own lives. So Tracy and I both have larger CPG organizations in our background where we worked with really robust insights teams that did all sorts of psychographic studies and qualitative and quantitative and and sort of the whole shebang. We had dedicated teams that developed really robust quantitative backed customer personas where we had very precise expectations for customers' pricing sensitivities, their attitudes toward different things, their desire for different product features, et cetera. And then we've also seen customer discovery from much more of an entrepreneurial vantage point which looks a lot different. It looks a lot more like boots on ground, individual interviews with whoever you can find to talk about the thing that you need to talk about, which carries some sort of sampling risk and, and everything else, but, but also allows us as, as founders to get closer to the, to the individual customer. Do you have any perspectives on how you coach different types of organizations and different sizes of organizations to go and gather the customer feedback that they need to make the decisions that they need to make regardless of of stage? Are, are there common threads that carry through or are there other ways that you'd recommend maybe larger organizations to use different sorts of resources? Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in a multi-method approach. So surveys and, and um, you know, those sorts of quantitative methods tell you what is happening. That gives you one perspective, but you also need to understand why that is happening. And that requires 
interviews and other sorts of customer discovery uh, methods. So connecting those two together should give you a clearer or a clearer picture of of what's actually happening. Uh, if nothing else, it will lead you to ask more questions or different questions, right? And that's really, as a, from a leader perspective, whether you're an entrepreneur or other, I mean, that's really the goal of leadership in today's environment. That's really about asking better questions as opposed to trying to solve problems. I like it. And David, one of the things that we never make a secret about here on the Building Teams podcast is we love to talk about teams. Uh, <laughs> so we'll... Uh, one of the things that you said previous to this was really struck me, which is leaders are making decisions with the same context. Um, and the reason that strikes me is I think it's interesting to think about that in the context of a team, right? Your team is always evolving, especially if you're a strong leader, you're, you're you know, giving them access to more training, you're developing their skills, you may be helping them lead bigger and bigger projects or different types of projects. Maybe you have a mentorship program, right? So as you're making these decisions and as your organization is kind of progressing, your team also has a completely different skill set. So how do you help leaders kind of keep that in mind, but also how do you coach leaders to help them better coach their teams and, and have their teams be prepared for that, that next big decision point or that, that next kind of change point, right? So to speak. I, I think we'd have to get to this idea of systemic leadership, right? So that helps us find leaders all throughout the organization and gets, gets things out of, out of the minds of, of, of top management. So it creates elements of diversity at the team level. It creates opportunity for problem solving and so forth. And it's not about, I mean, your teams, for example, or groups or wherever you're working, their teams, obviously, for this podcast, the, the, the teams are going to have the answers. So what we have to do as leaders is empower the teams because they're working closer with the issues and they're going to have a better perspective and they're going to bring better diversity. So as a leader, it's not about you need to do this. This is, this is uh, the directive that I'm giving you. This is how I'm going to solve the problem. The leaders have to be um, have to empower their teams and they have to say to them something along the lines of, uh, this is our vision. How would you approach this? And then they have to continually to add, continue to ask questions of those teams to try to refine and shape that answer, but not necessarily dictate what the outcomes are. So by decentralizing the decision-making in an organization, I think it becomes much more effective. And what, before you mentioned that, as leaders, we're so focused oftentimes on measuring throughput and quantifying easily quantifiable metrics. How do you go about measuring the success of doing that, of how well is a decentralized decision-making structure working? Are there sort of indicators or, or ways that you can put some structure behind measuring cultural engagement and less obviously quantifiable measures? Maybe, but is it necessary? So, I mean, I, we or we're in this mm. world where uh, I think, thanks in part to Milton Friedman, we're in this world where we believe everything has to be quantified, but everything, in my opinion, doesn't have to be quantified. There are some things that are just like, okay, how, if we're nicer to our people, if we take care of our people, they typically perform better, okay? Is, can we measure that easily? Not really, 
but we can see the long-term outcome and the performance of the organization. We can't necessarily measure the tasks, but we might be able to measure the the sales and um, you know overall satisfaction or something like that. But these are all surrogates, right? So, so I, I'm I'm not convinced that everything needs to be measured. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that statement. A, I think it's it's bolder than it should have to be, right? So there, we shouldn't yeah. have to make a <laughs> we shouldn't have to make a quantifiable um, you know task to say, hey, do we have uh, are our people happy to work with us, right? Are are our teams you know collaborative? Um, one of the things that we we sort of say a lot is you know it's one of those things you can actually feel, right? You can feel it when you walk into an organization or when you're coming into work. Are you excited to be going into work? Mm-hmm. Are you frustrated when you're in meetings, right? Are you sitting in meetings day after day feeling like, oh, this is so slow. Why can't we get to the next thing, right? We, Those are the things we tend to hear when we go into organizations that may have some of these friction points. They come out pretty clearly in, in interviews and and nobody wants them there, right? Like nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I really want to have one of those super frustrating meetings today <laughs> <laughs> where I don't feel like we're getting anything done. Um, but I think it, it does sometimes take that outside perspective to foster those conversations. And it sounds like that's what that you do a lot with organizations to say, hey, let's just get it out on the table, right? We may not at the end of the day be able to say this, you know, X, Y, and Z led to, you know, these three actionable things. But we also probably all will will feel a lot better when we're in meetings together and we'll be kind of moving quickly or feel like we're moving quicker. And and there's something to be said about that as well. So I I realized that maybe to some that was a bold statement on your behalf, but I, I love kind of calling out that we don't need to actually measure any of these things because sometimes we do know them in our gut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll feel it to your point, right? We'll feel it in the organization and people will be happier and, and that translates. I was, I, you know, I, I think I've been studying this, um, the concept of complexity in organizations lately and how, um, how we tend, because we're not willing to deal with the complexity, leaders aren't willing to deal with the complexity that they tend to make things complicated, which is why we have all sorts of HR policies. Um, you know, we, we've got to, we've got to do this because someone might do this. So we have to have this, we have to take this thing that's complex and dynamic based on the individual. And we've got to create a policy that covers everybody when in reality, it will never cover everybody. There will always be exceptions. So anytime you're creating, uh, in my opinion, anytime you're creating, uh, policies and procedures, um, to be able to cover everyone, but yet you'll say, well, we have some exceptions. Really what you are doing is just not dealing with the complexities. And a great example, you know, of that I saw passing through my LinkedIn stream the other day, uh, an organization nonprofit who um, had an individual who's, uh, who was employed by them whose child died. And the individual had asked, what's the bereavement policy? And the organization's bereavement policy was three days. So is that the right answer for this situation? No. The right answer for this situation is take as long as you need. And that's, that's a complex yeah. situation that creates the variance, which we need to deal with. The other thing I'm seeing is in, in these studies is, you know, I think it's uh, Amy Cates who raises this up. She was talking about not letting 
leaders abdicating their responsibility for managing complexity and letting it fall down to the customer level. So a great example of that would be uh, my wife and I and our, our we've had uh, electronic bank statements since we opened our bank account. Last month, we got a $1.50 charge and a paper statement. We didn't change anything. So my wife called them and they said, oh, well, you just go online and change that. And it's like, but I didn't change it to begin with. So why should I go online to change that? So, well, but, but that's the way we do it. Well, can't you change it? No, you have to change it because it's in your account. Um, okay, well, can you <laughs> refund the $1.50 when I change it? Well, I can put that request in. And it's like, why, why is the customer dealing with all these levels of complexity? Right. This, this is, these are leadership issues that leaders aren't stepping up to tackle and they're letting everything flow down and they're putting the burden on customers or even internal teams because they're not willing to deal with the complexities of their organization. Man, I, uh, I'm just sitting here nodding my head, David. I've, I, I've dealt with a couple industries recently where, where I'm fighting these battles and it's so frustrating as a customer because it's, man, there are things that are out of my control as a customer. And when the organization makes a change that I can't control, and then the expectation is that I unthinkingly live with the consequences. That is one of my biggest pet peeves and frustrations as a consumer. Tracy is laughing because she knows I will sometimes take the first five to 10 minutes of a meeting and just just vent my frustration because, and it is, it's so frustrating as, as a customer, any guidance for leaders or, or our listeners on how they can avoid creating customer experiences that force us to vent to our coworkers because we're so frustrated with the decisions that an organization has made, or, or maybe decisions that a leader hasn't made that has resulted in, in a frustrating customer experience. Well, I think it goes back to design, right? So how we, you know, how organizations are designed and, and who are we designing them for? And so many organizations design themselves for themselves, right? <laughs> so they're not designing, you know, they want customers to buy products. So they're designing product for that, but everything else is designed to improve the function and, and operation of the organization. They're not designing processes and procedures and engagement, um, uh, with customers and in a, in a way that puts the customer at the center of that. It's like, what would the customer want? And, but you right. have to, you have to ask the customer, right? Right. So it, this, this goes back to our earlier points with, about customer discovery. So it's okay to survey the customer and say, how was my service today? And it's like, do I even want to bother answering that question? My wife got a survey like that with the bank the other day. How was our service today? And it's like, I spent 40 minutes on the phone trying to solve a problem that it shouldn't have occurred anyway. So I'm not going to bother to fill out this survey because it clearly does not matter. But if someone called and listened, completely different, completely different opportunity. So I think, I think really thinking about how we gather customer input in, in the context of that and, and redesigning our processes so that we make it easy for our customers to buy and continue buying. Yeah, I think it's interesting to me because oftentimes when we do those meetings with clients and we say, okay, let's go through, go through these scenarios. If you ask them, how would you want to be treated in this situation? It very rarely lines up with how the customer experience is. And that's an interesting disconnect, right? Like right. we all, 
if we kind of answer the question of like, how would we want to be treated in this situation as a customer, we probably get much closer to the experience that our customers want. And to your point, David, I think it's always valuable to ask customers and, and directly hear it from them. But there's a lot of organizations that I'm sure we're all very loyal to. And whenever somebody asks me, wow, you really never sway from ordering from that company, or you always go to that store. Why? And I'm like, because they've never disappointed me, right? Like they've always handled situations in a way that I'm like, wow, huh, that's surprising. And most of the time it's surprising because it didn't end in a 40 minute phone call that none of us ever want to take. (laughs) So you're like, It was just simple, right? Like they make things simple and they don't make me have to explain things, you know, numerous times in numerous ways. And I always imagine in those situations, there's somebody in their team that's like, hey, you know what we should do? We should just do the thing that we want, which is, you know, make this really easy for people. <laughs> and and they may do that. They may have people in the organization that say, you know what, we need to change this. But what they what they run into is resistance within the organization because the the processes and procedures are not designed for that. Right. So there's this, there's this cultural resistance, and you find people saying, well, that's not the way we do it, or that'll never fly. Management will never let us do that, and that is a whole other set of problem, right? Yeah. yeah. And disengaging for the team too, right? Because when we talk to teams, they're like, I really, I want to help the customer. I want to be able to do this thing, but these processes and procedures say I can't, right? And so you kind of, you start to lose customers who don't want to repurchase because they don't want to encounter that issue again. And you also potentially are going to lose great team members because they want sure. to be able to provide a better service. Well, and say, you know, if you look at some of the companies that provide the exemplary service, you can see some great examples of that. You know, Ritz-Carlton is, is, is obviously one of them, or at least they used to be. I, I, I have not stayed at a Ritz-Carlton in a number of years now, but um, I, uh, I had the privilege of hearing Horst Schultze, who was one of uh, Ritz-Carlton's past leaders, may still be his leader, one of their leaders, uh, talk about their customer service once. And he was telling a story about a customer who left a briefcase in the room and the maid's cleaning the room and she discovers the briefcase and she can't get the customer on the phone, can't reach him at all. And she realizes this is very important. So she uh, leaves her station, takes the briefcase, finds out where he is through his office mm. and she takes it and hand delivers the briefcase to him. It takes time from work and and does this. I mean, so the investment was sizable <laughs> uh, for her to do that. So what happened as a result of that is the management said, "This is great. Thank you so much for taking care of our customers." Yeah. However, going forward, now we have a limit, so you can't spend over this amount of money without seeking management approval to do that. So now we've created a, a process that limits our ability to serve customers, where in that particular customer that, that this maid might have served could have been a loyal customer of Ritz Carlton spending tens of thousands of dollars a year and would have been very much worth that investment. But our desire to measure and manage throughputs have now restricted that. And this was a number of years ago. And I don't know how that ultimately ended up playing out, but I can see I can see the cause and effect there. Well, this is great. You took care of our customer today, but we're going to have to make sure that we don't spend as much to take care of that customer going forward. Yeah. I, I'm so interested, David. I, I, I'd love to learn more about your study for, uh, about 
managing organizational complexity. The establishment of policies and procedures is such a fascinating topic. And oftentimes you see the intent to serve the customer, but also to manage the expenditures of an organization or manage you know, the, the ability for that organization to drive the throughputs uh, that they desire through the establishment of policies and procedures. Um, but it's such a delicate balance. And, you know, I, I go back to the airline industry as an example. Obviously, that's an, an industry that's been through so much over the past year. And they need to make decisions, for instance, to cancel flights if there's not enough passengers on that flight. And as a consumer, if I booked a ticket on one of those flights and then I have a substantial change to my schedule, that's extraordinarily disappointing to me as a consumer. And I can understand the the decision of the organization to make that decision, but that doesn't change my perspective as a consumer that I'm incredibly frustrated that they've made a decision that changes my experience. All that to say is it is one example, but I'd love to know, you know, where can we go to learn more about the work that you're doing to understand the establishment of policies and procedures that balance the necessary throughputs of an organization while giving, hopefully, people the ability to make decisions to serve the customer uh, to the best of their ability. Yeah, um, you know, what we're really talking about is just change, right? And and whole scale, large scale types of change. So, I mean, Amy Cates and Greg Kessel wrote a book about uh, organization design, which is really uh, quite useful and helpful when you're thinking about managing complexity. There's a fair amount of academic research on on complexity and managing complexity. But like all academic research, it, it hasn't always been vetted, right? Mm. So there's a lot of theory and a lot of testing, but you know, can we can we as practitioners put it into, into practice and, and see the same types of results? Um, you know, I wish I had the answer to your airline question because <laughs> I, I, would, I think I would be able to retire if I could figure that one out. <laughs> I, I think that the, you know, how do you, how do you manage those sorts of things? I mean, did, I, I'm most of the airlines in my experience, try to move you to the next available flight, which is what they can do, which is in their yeah. control, but we wouldn't expect them to. We wouldn't expect them to fly a full 737 with 15 people on it. I mean, a, 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 not a full, but a, a, a 737 with 15 people. We wouldn't expect them to do that because clearly they would be losing money. Uh, and you can't do too much of that if you still want to keep planes in the air, right? Yeah. So where do you find the balance? Is it in notifying customers? Is it in not overbooking or underbooking flights? Is it constant reevaluating your bookings on your flights to say, hey, this one looks like it's trending down. Maybe we need to shift these flights. Maybe they're doing some of those sorts of things, but my gut tells me they're not doing enough of it. Uh, you know, we've all been in the situations where flights have, have been canceled after we've gotten to the airport because they have, you know, haven't had enough people on them or, yeah. or whatever. And, um, you know, that's uh, that seems to be some something that we could avoid. I mean, I think at some point it's about setting appropriate expectations for your customers. I think yeah. people are reasonable, right? And they they do understand. I just think there's another, you know, relative to learning there. There's a there's a theory put forth by Matt Coots who wrote a book about contextual intelligence and this whole idea about 3D thinking. So the idea that we have to use our hindsight and our foresight 
uh, together to create insight uh, hmm. in, within our organizations and, and as leaders. And that's that's incredibly helpful to think about because you know if we live too much in the past, we're uh, it's dangerous to our decision making because we end up thinking more about well this worked in the past so this should work again if we spend too much in the future time in the future it's not tempered with with uh, our our past experiences but if we don't find a way to balance those things then we can't create insights that allow us to perform um, with greater efficiency so yeah i think that's great and one of the things that your Ritz Carlton um, example struck with me is we often speak about guidelines and guardrails, right? To say, hey, you know what? You might not get it perfect every time, but if you can kind of give your team a guardrail of like, hey, try to take this approach. And then I think that secret is really staying in touch with customers, to your point, right? Setting those expectations. So maybe even taking the time as an airline to say, hey, we, we get it. This is not the ideal situation. We also don't want to cancel this flight. Next time we have to do this, hopefully we never have to, but what would be your expectation of how we would handle this situation, right? Because I'm fairly confident that folks will would, would say like, hey, you know what? If you could have told me before I got to the airport or if you could have told me, you know, a day ahead of time or if you could have moved the flight, you know, to be in the middle of two flights and kind of we both, you know, all of us gave up two hours in either direction, that could have solved our issue. But I think taking those opportunities to say, hey, yeah, we have to have policies. We probably have to have guidelines and guardrails to help our teams make decisions. But how do we keep kind of iterating on those and keep improving them to to get to that right situation, right? I, I think that would help a lot of folks. But I also think we could talk about this for hours if we if we uh, right. if we do. So, David, one of the things I don't want to miss is kind of hearing a little bit more about what you're doing. I I personally know there's lots of exciting things on your horizon and uh, different collaborations that you're involved with and, and would love our listeners to to be aware of those so they can take the opportunity to hear hear more from you in the future. Thank you. I, I'm, um, I'm working on a, uh, a, a new venture with some partners around the concept of promoting uh, education around collaborative change. So I'm, I'm, um, this came from some of my continued education. So a few years ago, I decided I wanted to go back to school and, and I stumbled on this, uh, doctoral program in organization development and change. And I thought, what's organization development and change. And when I investigated it, I realized, you know, it's a relatively young discipline, maybe 60, 70 years old. But when I did some investigation, I thought, oh my gosh, I've been doing this my whole career. I just didn't know what it was called. Hmm. And it's about helping organizations improve performance and it connects to the humanistic approaches and, you know, it's about process and, and, and organization design and things like that. But it's also about maximizing human potential. So, uh, and how all those things work together for the betterment of the organization. And as, as we've seen over the last year, particularly the last year and a half, uh, there's a huge demand and need for organizations and, and of all types, from communities and government to for-profit and non-profit organizations, to shift the way they think about things. So, the idea behind the um, new venture and and what we hope to put on this fall, which is uh, Evolve 2021 Collaborative Change Conference, is is really about helping people understand methods and um, ideas and thinking and case studies about how we can change and how we can fit facilitate change and be change agents in our in our communities and and organizations and 
and what that means to what that could mean to to the world. So I think the world needs this more now than ever before. And we all know we need to change. Most of us recognize that change is a constant and it's probably the only constant, but we don't know how to make it happen, right? So what mm -hmm. happens is we end up, I think what happens a lot of time is we end up just reacting to change rather than looking for ways to facilitate it. So mm -hmm. that's, that's exciting. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm finishing up my doctoral program, so I'm be working on dissertation, which I'm studying empathy in organizations. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, you know, kind of interesting stuff. And my work with my work with nonprofits continues. I mean, I really enjoy helping them figure out how to perform and continue to have social impact in, in, in the future, given all the change that's going on in the world. That's fascinating, David. I, I'd love to uh, to keep digging into Tracy's point. I know that we we could and would if we didn't have any time constraints, keep asking you many, many questions about all of those things. In particular, I'd love to learn more about your your dissertation. That sounds fascinating. Um, but I know that we do unfortunately have time constraints and, and we'll need to jump. Before we do, uh, where and how can people find find you or learn more about you if, if they want to contact you for any work or, or just to, to have a coffee chat? Sure. The best place to find me is that uh, one of my websites, one of them is davidharkins.com, which is really easy. And the other one is similarly davidharkinscompany.com. So uh, that's uh, where you can find me uh, and you know reach out if you have any questions or, or want to explore ideas. Yeah, we'll definitely um, we'll post those links in our show notes as well as the link to Evolve 2021 if folks are interested in attending the conference. Um, I will also say you uh, follow David on LinkedIn. You'll you'll get to see some interesting posts and some great knowledge sharing. I, I always I always enjoy your posts and seeing what uh, you. see what you're reading because uh, uh, it's fascinating stuff. So David, we can't thank you enough for for joining us today on the podcast. Loved having you. Um, we'll probably. Uh, try to convince you to come back soon and give us an update on uh, Evolve 2021 and the rest of your work. But but thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you both. Awesome. Well, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in this week. We uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, if you want to follow us, we're uh, obviously where you're listening to podcasts, but also you can check out the ver uh, video versions of these on YouTube. Um, we share some shorter clips there as well. So if you just want to share a, a shorter clip with one of your friends or colleagues about any topic that's a an easy place to do it and uh, until next time thanks for tuning in and, and we'll see you next week you've been listening to building teams with teams and co to learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at linkedin twitter and facebook Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice.